Section 26 of a general view of positivism. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A general view of positivism by Auguste Comte, translated by John Henry Bridges. Section 26. Chapter 6. Conclusion. The Religion of Humanity. Part 1 love then is our principle order our basis and progress our end such as the preceding chapters have shown is the essential character of the system of life which positivism offers for the definite acceptance of society a system which regulates the whole course of our private and public existence by bringing feeling reason and activity into perfect harmony in this final synthesis all essential conditions are far more perfectly fulfilled than in any other each special element of our nature is more fully developed and at the same time the general working of the whole is more coherent greater distinctness is given to the truth that the affective element predominates in our natures life in all its actions and thoughts is brought under the control and inspiring charm of social sympathy by the supremacy of the heart the intellect so far from being crushed is elevated for all its powers are consecrated to the service of the social instincts with the purpose of strengthening their influence and directing their employment by accepting its subordination to feeling reason adds to its own authority to it we look for the revelation of the laws of nature of the established order which dictates the inevitable conditions of human life the objective basis thus discovered for human effort reacts most beneficially on our moral nature forced as we are to accept it it controls the fickleness to which our affections are liable and acts as a direct stimulus to social sympathy concentrated on so high an office the intellect will be preserved from useless digression and will yet find a boundless field for its operations in the study of all the natural laws by which human destinies are affected and especially those which relate to the constitution of man or of society the fact that every subject is to be regarded from the sociological point of view so far from discouraging even the most abstract order of speculations adds to their local coherence as well as to their moral value by introducing the central principle round which alone they can be coordinated into a whole and whilst reason is admitted to its due share of influence on human life imagination is also strengthened and called into constant exercise henceforth it will assume its proper function the idealization of truth from the objective basis of our conceptions scientific investigation is necessary but this basis once obtained the constitution of our mind is far better adapted to ascetic than to scientific study provided always that imagination never disregard the truths of science and degenerate into extravagance subject to this condition positivism gives every encouragement to ascetic studies 
being as they are so closely related to its guiding principle and to its practical aim to love namely and to progress art will enter largely into the social life of the future and will be regarded as the most pleasurable and most salutary exercise of our intellectual powers because it leads them in the most direct manner to the culture and improvement of our moral nature originating in the first instance from practical life positivism will return hither with increased force now that its long period of scientific preparation is accomplished and that it has occupied the field of moral truth which henceforth will be its principal domain its principle of sympathy so far from relaxing our efforts will stimulate all our faculties to universal activity by urging them onwards towards perfection of every kind scientific study of the natural order is inculcated solely with the view of directing all the forces of man and of society to its improvement by artificial effort hitherto this aim has hardly been recognized even with regard to the material world and but a very small proportion of our energies has been spent upon it yet the aim is high provided always that the view taken of human progress extend beyond its lower and more material stages our theoretical powers once concentrated on the moral problems which form their principal field our practical energies will not fail to take the same direction devoting themselves to that portion of the natural order which is most imperfect and at the same time most modifiable with these larger and more systematic views of human life its best efforts will be given to the improvement of the mind and still more to the improvement of the character and to the increase of affection and courage public and private life are now brought into close relation by the identity of their principal aim which being kept constantly in sight ennobles every action in both practical questions must ever continue to preponderate as before over questions of theory but this condition so far from being adverse to speculative power concentrates upon it the most difficult of all problems the discovery of moral and social laws our knowledge of which will never be fully adequate to our practical requirements mental and practical activity of this kind can never result in hardness of feeling on the contrary it impresses us more strongly with the conviction that sympathy is not merely our highest happiness but the most effectual of all our means of improvement and that without it all other means can be of little avail thus it is that in the positive system the heart the intellect and the character mutually strengthen and develop one another because each is systematically directed to the mode of action for which it is by nature adapted public and private life are brought into a far more harmonious relation than in any former time because the purpose to which both are consecrated is identical the difference being merely in the range of their activities 
the aim in both is to secure to the utmost possible extent the victory of social feeling over self-love and to this aim all our powers whether of affection thought or action are in both unceasingly directed this then is the shape in which the great human problem becomes definitely before us its solution demands all the appliances of social art the primary principle on which the solution rests is the separation of the two elementary powers of society the moral power of counsel and the political powers of command the necessary preponderance of the latter which rests upon material force corresponds to the fact that in our imperfect nature where the coarser wants are the more pressing and the most continuously felt the selfish instincts are naturally stronger than the unselfish in the absence of all compulsory authority our action even as individuals would be feeble and purposeless and social life still more certainly would lose its character and its energy moral force therefore by which is meant the force of conviction and persuasion is to be regarded simply as a modifying influence not as a means of authoritative direction moral force originates in feeling and in reason it represents the social side of our nature and to this its direct influence is limited indeed by the very fact that it is the expression of our highest attributes it is precluded from that practical ascendancy which is possessed by faculties of a lower but more energetic kind inferior to material force in power though superior to it in dignity it contrasts and opposes its own classification of men according to the standard of moral and intellectual worth to the classification by wealth and worldly position which actually prevails true the higher standard will never be adopted practically but the effort to uphold it will react beneficially on the natural order of society it will inspire those larger views and reanimate that sense of duty which are so apt to become obliterated in the ordinary current of life the means of effecting this important result the need of which is so generally felt will not be wanting when the moderating power enters upon its characteristic function of preparing us for practical life by a rational system of education throughout which even in its intellectual development moral considerations will predominate this power will therefore concentrate itself upon theoretical and moral questions and it can only maintain its position as the recognized organ of social sympathy by invariable abstinence from political action it will be its first duty to contend against the ambitious instincts of its own members true such instincts in spite of the impurity of their source may be of use in those natures who are really destined for the indispensable business of government but for a spiritual power formal renunciation of wealth and rank is at the very root of its influence it is the first of the conditions which justify it in resisting the encroachments to which political power is always tempted 
hence the classes to whose natural sympathies it looks for support are those who like itself are excluded from political administration women from their strong sympathetic nature are the original source of all moral influence and they are particularly qualified by the passive character of their life to assist the action of the spiritual power in the family in its essential function of education their cooperation is of the highest importance the education of young children is entrusted to their sole charge and the education of more advanced years simply consists in giving a more systematic shape to what the mother has already inculcated in childhood as a wife too woman assumes still more distinctly the spiritual function of counsel she softens by persuasion where the philosopher can only influence by conviction in social meetings again the only mode of public life in which women can participate they assist the spiritual function in the formation of public opinion of which it is the systematic organ by applying the principles which it inculcates to the case of particular actions or persons in all these matters their influence will be far more effectual than men when men have done their duty to women by setting them free from the necessity of gaining their own livelihood and when women on their side have renounced both power and wealth as we see so often exemplified among the working classes the affinity of the people with the philosophic power is less direct and less pure but it will prove a vigorous ally in meeting the obstacles which the temporal power will inevitably oppose the working classes having but little spare time and small individual influence cannot except on rare occasions participate in the practical administration of government since all efficient government involves concentration of power moral force on the contrary created as it is by free convergence of opinion admits of and indeed requires the widest ramification working men owing to their freedom from practical responsibilities and their unconcern for personal aggrandizement are better disposed than their employers to broad views and to generous sympathies and will therefore naturally associate themselves with the spiritual power it is they who will furnish the basis of a true public opinion so soon as they are enabled by positive education which is specially framed with a view to their case to give greater definiteness to their aspirations their wants and their sympathies will alike induce them to support the philosophic priesthood as the systematic guardian of their interests against the governing classes in return for such protection they will bring the whole weight of their influence to assist the priesthood in its great social mission the subordination of politics to morals in those exceptional cases where it becomes necessary for the moderating power to assume political functions the popular element will of itself suffice for the emergency thus exempting the philosophic element from participating in an anomaly from which its character could hardly fail to suffer 
as would be the case also in a still higher degree with the feminine character the direct influence of reason over our imperfect nature is so feeble that the new priesthood could not of itself ensure such respect for its theories as would bring them to any practical result but the sympathies of women and of the people operating as they will in every town and in every family will be sufficient to ensure its efficiency in organizing that legitimate degree of moral pressure which the poor may bring to bear upon the rich moreover we may look as one of the results of our common system of education for additional aid in the ranks of the governing classes themselves for some of their noblest members will volunteer their assistance to the spiritual power forming so to speak a new order of chivalry and yet with all this comprehensive as our organization of moral force may be so great is the innate strength of the selfish instincts that our success in solving the great human problem will always fall short of what we might legitimately desire to this conclusion we must come in whatever way we regard the destiny of man but it should only encourage us to combine our efforts still more strongly in order to ameliorate the order of nature in its most important that is in its moral aspects these being at once the most modifiable and the most imperfect the highest progress of man and of society consists in gradual increase of our mastery over all our defects especially the defects of our moral nature among the nations of antiquity the progress in this direction was but small all that they could do was to prepare the way for it by certain necessary phases of intellectual and social development the whole tendency of greek and roman society was such as made it impossible to form a distinct conception of the great problem of our moral nature in fact morals were with them invariably subordinate to politics nevertheless it is moral progress which alone can satisfy our nature and in the middle ages it was recognized as the highest aim of human effort notwithstanding that its intellectual and social conditions were as yet very imperfectly realized the creeds of the middle ages were too unreal and imperfect the character of society was too military and aristocratic to allow morals and politics to assume permanently their right relation the attempt was made however and inadequate as it was it was enough to allow the people of the west to appreciate the fundamental principle involved in it a principle destined to survive the opinions of the habits of life from which it arose its full weight could never be felt until the positive spirit had extended beyond the elementary subjects to which it had been so long subjected to the sphere of social truth and had thus reached the position at which a complete synthesis became possible equally essential was it that in those countries which had been incorporated into the western empire and had passed from it into catholic feudalism war should be definitely superseded by industrial activity 
in the long period of transition which has elapsed since the middle ages both these conditions have been fulfilled while at the same time the old system has been gradually decomposed finally the great crisis of the revolution has stimulated all advanced minds to reconsider with better intellectual and social principles the same problem that christianity and chivalry had attempted the radical solution of it was then begun and it is now completed and enunciated in a systematic form by positivism all essential phases in the evolution of society answer to corresponding phases in the growth of the individual whether it has proceeded spontaneously or under systematic guidance supposing always that this development be complete but it is not enough to prove the close connection which exists between all modes and degrees of human regeneration we have yet to find a central point round which all will naturally meet in this point consists the unity of positivism as a system of life unless it can be thus condensed round one single principle it will never wholly supersede the synthesis of theology notwithstanding its superiority in the reality and stability of its component parts and in their homogeneity and coherence as a whole there should be a central point in the system towards which feeling reason and activity alike converge the proof that positivism possesses such a central point will remove the last obstacles to its complete acceptance as the guide of private or of public life such a centre we find in the great conception of humanity towards which every aspect of positivism naturally converges by it the conception of god will be entirely superseded and a synthesis be formed more complete and permanent than that provisionally established by the old religions through it the new doctrine becomes at once accessible to men's hearts in its full extent and application from their heart it will penetrate their minds and thus the immediate necessity of beginning with a long and difficult course of study is avoided though this must of course be always indispensable to its systematic teachers this central point of positivism is even more moral than intellectual in character it represents the principle of love upon which the whole system rests it is the peculiar character of the supreme being who is here set forth to be compounded with separable elements its existence depends therefore entirely upon mutual love knitting together its various parts the calculations of self-interest can never be substituted as a combining influence for the sympathetic instincts yet the belief in humanity while stimulating sympathy at the same time enlarges the scope and vigor of the intellect for it requires high powers of generalization to conceive clearly of this vast organism as the result of spontaneous cooperation abstraction made of all possible antagonisms reason then has its part in this central dogma as well as love 
it enlarges and completes our conception of the supreme being by revealing to us the external and internal conditions of its existence lastly our active powers are stimulated by it no less than our feelings and our reason for since humanity is so far more complex than any other organism it will react more strongly and more continuously on its environment submitting to the influence and so modifying it hence results progress which is simply the development of order under the influence of love thus in the conception of humanity the three essential aspects of positivism its subjective principle its objective dogma and its practical object are united towards humanity who is for us the only true great being we the conscious elements of whom she is composed shall henceforth direct every aspect of our life individual or collective our thoughts will be devoted to the knowledge of humanity our affections to her love our actions to her service positivists then may more truly than theological believers of whatever creed regard life as a continuous and earnest act of worship worship which will elevate and purify our feelings enlarge and enlighten our thoughts ennoble and invigorate our actions it supplies a direct solution so far as a solution is possible of the great problem of the middle ages the subordination of politics to morals for this follows at once from the consecration now given to the principle that social sympathy should preponderate over self-love thus positivism becomes in the true sense of the word a religion the only religion which is real and complete destined therefore to replace all imperfect and provisional systems resting on the primitive basis of theology end of section twenty six